Right, well, um, let's pray, shall we? Because it seems like a good way to start. Let's just stand together for a moment and just. Father God, we want to thank you for the way you speak to us so specifically. Just, we just worship and then you come and tell us stuff about what you think of us and how much you love us and the plans that you have for us. Father, we're, we're just in love with you today and we just love your presence. And Father, will you just keep coming on us? Just keep coming amongst us. Keep being that miracle worker. Come be our healer. Uh, be our truth bringer, our yes, way maker. We ask you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Anoint me, Lord, as I speak, yes, in Jesus' amen. name. Amen. 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 Right. Well, we've. If you've, if you're visiting, you won't know that we're working. We're trying to tie up a, a series that was meant to be a few weeks, and it's turned out a lot longer because it seems like God's had other ideas. And so we're just trying to round off a few things from the series in Ephesians chapter one called God's Big Plan. Uh, but it just seems like there are other things we need to just add in, other words we need to add in to this series to finish it off. So, yeah, it says Romans. We're going to do a bit of Romans today to finish off something that we were doing uh, last time. So last time I was speaking on the series, we we're talking about the remedy of grace, which is demonstrated to us through the act of forgiveness, where God literally lets us off our law-breaking, He justifies us, not because of our ability now to suddenly keep the law and do everything right, but as a free gift paid for by Jesus' blood. And so the righteous standing that we now enjoy as Christians today is not dependent on our performance, but on our position in Christ. That's really good news. Justification then, it's a big word, we're looking at some big words at the moment, means that it's no longer about what we do or how we live, but about who we are in Christ. Our new identity as sons and daughters, where God is our father and no longer our judge. I mean, the fact that we get away with it like that is called the scandal of grace. (laughs) The shocking fact that God continues to justify ungodly people, however they then choose to live. (laughs) I mean, his grace means that we can remain legally forgiven and righteous in the sight of God, whatever we do. And this is just mind-blowing. It's incredible. And when you begin to understand the full extent of what this really means, you can't help but ask where we kind of ended up last time is, well, what incentive is there not to sin then? I mean, why even bother to try and live the Christian life? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what I want to talk about today. You see, justification is only the beginning. It's where we first encounter his grace. But there is so much more to know. He doesn't leave us where we were found. He loves us too much for that. His grace gives us the opportunity to live a completely different life And it's the work of his spirit with whom we are sealed, as Simon showed us last time, that makes us want to do so. It's a bit like when you get a new pair of shoes. You don't want to scuff them and get them dirty like the old ones. Or when you've just washed and polished the car, you don't want to go through the dirty puddles anymore. Because having been cleaned, having been forgiven so much, we like the feeling of being clean. That's what it is to become a Christian. So, 
as we're going to see today, it's because we no longer have the same relationship with our sin. Having been freed from it, we don't find it as attractive anymore. So we despair over our sinful behavior. We long to be different, to be in our actions and behaviors the new person that we know we are. So justification then deals with our position, but the process of sanctification is another big word for you, deals with our condition. Position and condition. And this is a progressive work of his grace, which I want to deal with here. So what is sanctification? It's the process of inward change God works on with us to make us more like Jesus. So it shouldn't be confused with justification because it relates to a completely different aspect of God's work of grace in our lives. So if we were to compare the two, I just happen to have an amazing table to compare it. You see, the justification is about our legal standing. It's our position. Sanctification is about our condition, our internal condition. Justification happens once for all time, whereas sanctification, that goes on throughout the rest of our lives. Justification, it's entirely God's work. Sanctification, we have to cooperate with God. Justification means that we can be perfect in his sight in this life, whereas sanctification means that we're not completely perfect in the way that we're working things out still in our lives. There's still more to be done. And justification is the same for all Christians, but sanctification is greater in some than in others. I hope you found that helpful to, to see. But justification comes before sanctification because it happens when we first put our trust in Jesus. But from the moment we do that, he takes responsibility for us and his grace communicated through his spirit begins this cooperative work of changing us from the inside out. And in the context of this astounding relationship where God is now our father, we begin to want different things because we've tasted something. And we begin to want different things. Our thought life begins to change. Our reactions are different. There's a progressive freedom which begins to work its way out through the whole of our lives because we're becoming cleaned up. We're, we're becoming sanctified. Anybody, has that been your experience? I just don't find the same things as attractive as I used to. And this is because, as Paul so confidently writes in Romans 6.14, sin shall not be your master because you're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. I tried saying that to a policeman and it didn't work. But we are not under the law anymore. We are under grace. Grace is your teacher. Grace is, is where your problem becomes his opportunity. You are no longer a slave of sin because as a child of God, you've now been given a choice not to sin. But if you do, then you wish you hadn't. You feel bad about it, not because I'm condemned anymore, because there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, but it's because I like being clean and I want to be clean again. Amen? So that's how it works. That's how you begin to recognize the work of his grace and sanctification. So, shall we continue to sin? Well, that's what I want to look at today and look at what Romans 6 says where Paul writes and tells us that grace doesn't make us want to sin anymore. Actually, it does the opposite for us. It sanctifies us and makes us more like Jesus. So he shows us this in three progressive steps. And I'd love to just 
stand and read Romans 6 to you, but I want to try and save some time. So will you read it later? But I'm just going to pick out several verses and read them as we go along and explain them to you. And I want to do it around these three headings. First one is that there's something for us to know. Second, that there's something for us to work out. So get your calculator out. And thirdly, there's something to do for all of this to be the case, this work of sanctification to be worked out in our lives. So number one then, something to know. There's something to know which makes it impossible for us to continue sinning. That's good news, isn't it? There's something that you need to know, and that's the first thing is, is that you are dead to sin. So verse 2 of Romans 6, you might want to turn to this and follow it as we go along. Verse 2 says this, we died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know this, that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into its death? And so verse 2 is the answer to Paul's famous question in verse 1, which says, shall we continue to sin to get more grace? Certainly not, he says, but not for the reasons you might think. He says, certainly not, because it's impossible for us to continue sinning because we died to it. Meaning that we are like dead people as far as sin is concerned. And this is true, Paul says, for all of us. Every believer, not just some of us, not just the elite few, the super saints or the special people. All of us have died to sin and its corrupting influence and power. You say, well, I wish somebody had told me that. I mean, when did this happen? It certainly doesn't feel like it for me. I didn't get my memo. Well, my body certainly didn't, and my temper certainly didn't either. But this is why Paul wrote it, you see, so that you might know it, that this happened for you. It happened for all of us, not just when you get to this certain point of maturity or spirituality, but in a moment of history, That moment of history when Jesus died. So that in verse 3, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were simultaneously baptized into his death. In other words, it was when we first believed and committed our lives to him that it was appropriated to us. At that point, we died. But we also, verse 4, were buried with him through baptism into death. And guys, you only bury dead people, don't you? We were buried with him through baptism into death. And simultaneously, he tells us that the corpse of our old lives has been done away with. Verse 6, you're going to have to follow me today. Verse 6 says, our old life, meaning the sinful person that we were, was crucified with him. So that the body of sin, literally the corpse of our old lives, might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Okay? So Paul is wanting us to know that grace cannot lead us into sinning more. Because all died to sin when Jesus died. We were buried with Christ when he was buried, and the corpse was done away with, it was left in the grave, and that's where corpses belong, in the grave, so that we are no longer bound to it. Our old lives are completely removed from us. So we're not carrying around our old sins anymore. Our old lives, they really have been taken away. Our old life has gone, and it can no longer accuse us because we've been liberated 
from it. Anybody excited about that? But the problem is that we don't feel very dead, do we? Anybody feel particularly dead today? Um, You probably wouldn't even put your hand up. If we were honest, I, I think that most of us would say that we feel pretty alive to sin most of the time. Some are even fighting a bit of a losing battle with it at the moment on a daily basis. So how can this be true? How can this actually be true? Well, Paul uses a logical argument to make his point. In verse 7, he says that anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So the logic of his argument is this, that in, if, in the same way that if somebody died physically today, they wouldn't be able to sin anymore because they're literally not alive, this is what has happened for us spiritually as far as Christ is concerned. That's the logic of the argument. So, okay, great, but how do we access this? How does it work out for us in practice? Well, this comes back again to your identity, your new identity. See, when Paul says that you died, you died, he's not talking about your physical body, obviously. He's talking about the sinful person that you were. The person who did those things, the person who said those things, the person who went to those places, that person, the old you, was crucified with Christ, buried. And the corpse taken away, make it impossible for you to continue to live in that person anymore. Follow me. So you're no longer that person. That's the gospel. You are no longer that person who did those things. You're a new person, and you've been given a new identity in Christ. It's amazing. You have been given a new, you are a new person in Christ. Because the thing is, you don't stay dead. You know, some people used to talk about living a crucified life, and when you looked at them, you thought, yeah, well, (laughs) I can see that. You're just dead. I mean, there's just nothing of life about you. But it's not true. We don't live a crucified life. We die, and then we live again, a new life, a new resurrection life in Christ. So this is the second thing that Paul wants us to know. You are dead, but you are now alive to God. Romans 6, verse 8. This is just the gospel, okay? That's what we're doing today. Romans 6, verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Also live with him. Because, you see, we don't stay in the grave with that rotting, dirty, smelly, horrible old corpse of our old lives. We have been raised with Christ to live a new life. We're made a new person. That means that your essential personhood, who you are, has changed. So who are you then? Who are you? Who are you in Christ? Who do you say that you are? You know, we wear all kinds of labels, don't we? Labels of identity that say who we are. We can say all kinds of things about who we are. You could say, I'm a teacher. That's who I am. Uh, I'm a, I'm a carpenter, I'm a mother, I'm, or I am successful, or I'm a failure. I'm loved, or I'm unloved. I'm impatient, I'm angry, I'm lustful, I'm confused. 
I'm a confused person. Because so often when we talk about who I am, what we're really describing is what we do. But it's not what we do anymore that counts as who we are in Christ. Oh my goodness. Thing is, you see, if you identify yourself by what you do, it can change who we are all the time. (laughs) From moment to moment, depending on how we feel or how we're performing. So at one minute you can say, I am the best teacher in the world. The next minute you can say, I'm absolutely rubbish, I can't get anything done. It changes from moment to moment depending upon your circumstances. But in Jesus, who you are has fundamentally and irrevocably changed. The life that you now live as a Christian is your new identity. So you are, amongst other things, a child of God. <laughs> John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called a child of God, even to those who believe in his name. You're not a child of your family anymore. You are born again as a new person. You don't have to inherit all of the bad stuff from the generations before. You've heard people say that, haven't you? Oh, you're going to turn out just like your dad. Well, in some ways, that would be a great thing, especially in my case. Hey, dad. I don't know where he is. But but in other things, you say, I don't want to inherit that. We inherit something new in Christ. We get to look like our father in heaven. Now, that's good news, isn't it? You're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that your home address has changed? You are now a citizen of heaven. Your citizenship has changed. Your nationality has changed. You come from a different country now. Thirdly, a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has come. The new has come. You see, you're not identified by your past any longer. That old stuff has gone because the person who did them is now dead. You're following me? And you are significant. Did you know that? In Christ, you are significant. John 15, 16 says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. That's Jesus. That is God speaking. You didn't choose to become a Christian. You didn't choose to become a Christian. He chose you. That's why you're a Christian today, if that's who you are. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you into my service. To go and bear fruit. That means to live a life that is full of fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Do you want to live a fruitful life? A life that gives life to other people and to the world. You're given new meaning and purpose in life. So this, these are some of the attributes. These are some of the parts of that new identity in Christ that you've been raised to be. But it doesn't mean that you're not still struggling with some things from your past. You might have some symptoms still hanging around 
of the sinful person that you used to be. You lived that way long enough. Your mind needs to be reprogrammed to this new realization. But the essential truth is that the sinful person that you were is no longer who you are. And so it is time for you to cut off the old label that you've identified yourself by, the the things that I've done or that I haven't done or the things that I now do or the thing I'm probably going to do. Cut that off and put on a new label which says something like, I'm a child of God. I'm chosen by him, I'm precious and I'm significant in his eyes, I'm greatly loved and I'm eternally secured. And my sins have been forgiven, by the way. Wonderful. What label are you wearing today? Can you wear your new label with pride? You know, when you know who you are in God, it lifts your head up. I'm a child of the king. I am so glad that I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. When did you last feel your head lift, knowing who I am in Christ? The weight comes off. And if you haven't made that transition, you can today. You just have to say, Father, I believe in what Jesus did for me, that my old life has gone. I need forgiveness. I need you to separate me from that and transfer me into your kingdom. And it's when you begin to allow this new set of facts to sink in, you know, when this truth dawns on you, that you discover the freedom that you have because of this new identity to be a different person, to, to, to think differently, to, to live differently, to behave in a different way, to be the person that he says you are. <laughs> Not what you're teacher at school said you were or your parents said you were or society says that you are but who he says you are (laughs) I, I wonder I wonder how you would respond if you could actually hear the voice of the father speaking your name and calling you what would he say to you what would he say about you and to you he says you are my precious son and my lovely daughter You're looking good today. That was the prophetic word that came today, wasn't it? You guys, when you're worshipping me, you're looking good today. That's what he's like. But how many of you know that, I mean, this is amazing truth, isn't it? And delivered so well, I thought. It's amazing truth. But how many of us know that this takes a bit of working out? Yeah? So we need to get our calculators out. There's something to work out. We need to get this straight in our heads, never mind the rest of our lives. So in verse 11, something to work out. In the same way, Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the same way, he says, based on the facts that I've just shared with you about the change of identity, based on that, count it. Count it, add it up, calculate, compute. It's actually an accounting term that Paul uses here. And it deals with reality, not supposition or estimation. In the same way, there's a certainty about this thing if you add it up. It's something you can actually sit down and work out. It's the new reality of how things are now. And so we better adjust our minds and our lives to this new reality. 
So next month, for example, we're going to have to adjust our clocks, the Davy family, because there's going to be a new reality for us because we're staying in France where the clocks are an hour ahead. That's going to be our new reality that we will have to live by. It's tough. It's so tough. Now, it's only a holiday. It's not a permanent change. But supposing France became my new reality, please, Jesus. (laughs) Supposing, (laughs) just in retirement, maybe, the south of France. But supposing I went there, supposing that became my new reality, my new country, but I decided, well, I'm English. I'm not going to change anything. You know? I'm not going to change my clock. I'm not going to change my language. I'll just speak slower and louder. I refuse to adjust to this new reality. I eat fish and chips every day, defiantly in the face of the French. I mean, I would live in constant conflict, wouldn't I? I'd have problems all the time. Nothing would work properly. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. There's a different reality that we need to adjust to because of who we are now in Christ. A different reality, a whole different country that we need to adjust to we need to add this up and we need to repent you know that that word just means change the way that you think adjust to this new reality which says i'm dead to sin and alive to god it's not mind over matter it's a case of changing our clock to line up with our new identity but then with this new, and then live with that new reality, whatever your body clock says to you. Are you hearing me? That's what Paul's saying. We need to work it out so we can adjust our thinking and reacclimatize ourselves because we're in God's kingdom now. <laughs> and because of that, our lives look very different to the ones that we left behind. I mean, there's all kinds of implications of this, but for example, you don't have to lose your temper anymore. You don't have to. You can choose not to. You don't have to put up with despair and rejection. You don't have to live in that place anymore because you're now loved and accepted and significant. You don't have to get bitter and offended by your family anymore. You can forgive them. You've been forgiven so much. You don't have to buy that magazine You don't have to look at porn websites anymore. You can choose not to. You don't have to. You're no longer a slave to that. You've got a choice. Did you know that? You are no longer a slave, but a son with a very powerful father. (laughs) I remember as a young man going to see my pastor because I was struggling with lust. And temptations, only when I was a young man, obviously. (laughs) But I I tried really hard. You know, I did everything. I prayed, I fasted, I beat myself up on a regular basis, self-flagellation, the lot. But I just failed more and more because I wanted to be pure. That's what the Holy Spirit does to you. You know that, don't you? I wanted to be pure. 
So I had to go through this awful process of sharing all this embarrassing stuff with this older pastoral holy man. And I got it all off my chest and I shared it all with him. And then he just said to me, you don't have to do that anymore, you know. I said, you what? I've gone through all this and said all that. I want some kind of three-point action plan, preferably with a prayer for deliverance or something like fireworks. Anyway, and you just tell me you don't have to do this anymore. But, you know, as I went away from that conversation, I realized that it was true. I've actually got a choice. But the lie of my old life made me think that I didn't have a choice. And I've got to say that I stopped. And I started to live a new reality of freedom. And even though I've stumbled over the years, I have not fallen into such slavery again. Hallelujah. There you go. even said hallelujah. That's how exciting I am. So excited I am. But we need to work this out and make the fact of this new reality our reality. And so there's something for us to do in the light of all this, this third point that I just want to share with you. Here it is. Verse 12. Paul says in Romans 6, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Hmm. He says, don't let sin reign. He's not the boss anymore, sin. (laughs) Don't let him reign. And this is how you do it, how you don't let him reign, double negative, Don't offer your body to sin anymore, but offer it to God all the time. This is your reasonable act of service. Offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Don't offer your body to sin. It's a bit like saying, don't just sit on the couch anymore, look after yourself. Watch what you eat. Get into some training where your body begins to perform on a whole other level of fitness. And as you can see, I am a prime specimen of this illustration. But Paul illustrates this in a a really graphic, cruel way, I think, in 1 Corinthians 9. Let me just read this to you. He says, everyone who competes in the games, this is he's talking about the Olympic Games here. He's aiming high. Goes into something, I don't know. But we do it to get a crown that's going to last forever. This has got an eternal implication. Therefore, I don't run like a man aimlessly, just working for that kind of crown. He says, I don't fight like a man beating the air, sort of, what a waste of time. No, I beat my body and I make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I discipline myself. So he doesn't, he's not really saying you've got to beat yourself. The self-flagellation thing, it doesn't work anyway. All right? But it's about orientating ourselves to the inner voice of the Holy Spirit, who is our constant teacher. 
He is our training coach. He is our counsellor. He is the one who teaches us through the renewed conscience what his will is and what pleases him. You know, I've had this discussion over the years so many times. You talk about people, they come in and, and they're not quite, their lives aren't quite sorted out yet, anybody. Uh, it seems like people have been Christians 20 years think that their lives are for some reason. But people have just become Christians, well, we probably need to sort of move things along a bit, you know, make it a bit quicker, a bit more comfortable for us that have been around a bit and Christianized. And so you get these conversations like, you need to challenge them on that. And it's my job to do it for some reason. I have to do that. But you know what I've discovered? That doesn't work. You have to train people to be full of the Holy Spirit. Because when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you begin to walk in the Spirit. And you don't want to do those things anymore. And that lasts. That lasts. That is actual life change from the inside out. So rather than trying to put law on people, tell them what they can and can't do, it's much more efficient use of pastoral time to encourage people just to be full of the Holy Spirit and walk closely to Jesus. Can I have an amen? Come on. Woo! I didn't even write that down. That just came to me. Wow. It's just my experience that God helps me to walk differently. I don't have to do this all on my own. I just have to learn how to hear him. He helps me. He helps me to obey him and to make wise choices. And it's about aligning ourselves with freedom rather than slavery. If anything sounds like slavery, that's not the Holy Spirit. If it sounds like freedom... That's him. Go for that. Amen? And we need this, you see, because in verse 17, Paul tells us that we used to be slaves to sin. Literally, we were addicted to living that way. But now, we've become slaves of righteousness. And that's a whole other way of living that we need to train our minds and our bodies for. And just in case you think it sounds like other kind of slavery... Slaves of righteousness, that's actually a place of incredible freedom where I now get to choose not to sin. (sighs) This is good stuff. And there's no better way to exercise this freedom than to offer yourselves to God. Don't offer yourselves to sin. Do offer yourself. To God, And we need to do this because the truth is that despite all I've said and all that Christ has done to set us free, we still mess up sometimes. Well, I do anyway. <laughs> we still fall from some time, time to time. Temptation in some areas just seems so tempting. Do you know what I mean? But this, these areas that we struggle in, this is why we have to offer ourselves to God. There are some areas where we just can't do it. Let me just read you this verse. I love this verse. It says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. Paul says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, he says, and he won't let you be tempted, tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I mean, that's just such a strange phrase, common to man. 
Does that only affect men, not women? I guess so, maybe. Common to man. What does it mean? Well, I think it means two things. Firstly, that what you face, the problem that you're dealing with, what you're trying to overcome, other people have the same problem. You're not on your own. You know, people come and confess these big sins, and they're kind of expecting you to say, What? You did what? No, I'd say, well, yeah, I know, I get it. I get that, yeah, I understand. I understand what you're going through. Because it's common to man that we struggle in these things. That's the first thing. I also think it means this. It's common only to man, not to God. It's common to man. I mean, it's not God-sized, your problem. It's only man-sized. Isn't that, isn't that fun? Isn't that a fun way to look at it? it it's not a man-sized, it's just, you know. It. And so in these times of temptation, th- those areas that you can't break out of, all right? We've, we've got them. We've all got them. Offer yourself to God. And I imagine it a bit like this. I'm driving at the moment. I don't know how to do this next bit. Lord, you drive. Hands off. Lord, you drive. You make the decision here. I am not able to do this. I can't do this. Holy Spirit, fill me and set me free. It's that simple. You drive, Lord. In times of temptation and weakness especially, don't just rely on yourself and on your own ability to resist. Do something positive. How many of you found that when you try to say, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, it just gets harder and harder not to do that? In fact, you're even thinking about what I'm not doing, so I'm not doing anymore. Now I'm thinking bad things. Oh, my goodness, I shouldn't think bad things. Now I'm thinking about bad things, bad things, and uh, you get yourself in a right old mess. Do something positive. In that moment, say, God, here it is. Lord, you are beautiful. I get my eyes on you, Jesus. I turn away from that. Lord, you are amazing. Just fill me with a vision of what you look like right now. Get your eyes on Jesus. There's freedom in that. You know, this is a freedom message today. Some of you are going to be free because of this. It's the gospel to set us free. Put your hand, self, in his hands and receive his God-sized solution to your man-sized problem. And if you're a woman, that's even better, because it's only man. (laughs) It's only men. (laughs) You don't need to constantly battle. His grace is sufficient for you, and his timing is perfect, and he knows your heart. You know, I have known those areas, those times in my life, where I've just had to look at those things in the eye and say, one day I'll be free from you. I heard Simon Holly say this recently. I thought, oh, I I say that too, so it must be all right. One day I'll be free from you. I know I'm not yet, but one day I I won't be afraid anymore. One day I won't be stumbled by that anymore. One more day I'll be able to deal with that because he sets me free. I wonder... Can your understanding of grace cope with the fact that you're not perfect yet, but that you are being perfected, made from glory, changed from glory into glory? Because you're a child of God. That's glory. And there's even more glory. 
as you're made more like him. Can your grace, your understanding of grace, cope with the fact that you're going to mess up and that's okay for now? It's your heart, attitude, at that moment that counts. Lord, I've done it again, but Lord, you know that's not what I want to do. I don't want to go there, Lord. I don't want to go back to that, Father. You know my heart. Take me out of here, Lord. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. (laughs) Amen. Give yourself and your sin and your failures to God. Offer yourself to God. Trust him. Because he's so much better at dealing with it than you are. (laughs) Amen. Let me just conclude then. We are all on a journey in this sanctification. And we need each other. We need to be reminded of the truth. We need to have our thinking challenged. It was never God's intention for us to be lone soldiers, but a part of a body on earth called the church. That's why he's put us on community. But I do know that through this community, sometimes God does more sanctification in me than anywhere else. Through marriage, anybody married? You find out about your temper when you have kids. All these things. There's processes that God sanctifies you through. We need to be in community. Sanctification is a process. It's going to take a lifetime to work out. Although there's no excuse for slackness in this. We want to be effective Christians, which we struggle to be if we're always battling with sins and the condemnation that goes with it. Get some help. You know, so sometimes we just need to share it with a trusted friend and say, I'm really struggling. Will you just, you know, the three legged race, will you just walk along with me for a bit? Can I tie myself to you for a bit? I need some encouragement. I need some help. I need some strength. One of the most releasing things for me I've discovered in our lovely eldership team is going to say, guys, I messed up this week. I need to tell you about it. Will you pray for me? I just feel the relief of acceptance and love and encouragement and grace. We need people in our lives to help us at these times. Amen? Add it up, he says. It all makes sense and it works. We have a new identity and need to change our thinking to live in this new reality. Offer yourself to God. You don't need to offer yourself to sin anymore. You're not that person anymore. Get into training for a godly life even though sometimes you're still going to stumble and fall. We're going to get it wrong, but it doesn't change who we are. I'm still a child of God. And give that failure, give that struggle, that that sin, give it to God again. Maybe you need to do that today. Say, Lord, you're right. This is a a man-sized problem that I can't handle. I actually need to give this to you today. You in that category today, it's just been overwhelming. Let's not allow ourselves, you see. This is what happens. These things come along and it takes us out of the race. You know, it's like Adam. He says he went and hid in the garden. And the Lord says, where are you, Adam? I'm hiding. I've sinned. I don't want to see you, God. I don't want to be with you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to be around the church. I don't want to be around anybody who's more holy than me or anything. Feeling really rubbish at the moment. That's what the enemy does. He separates you separates you off. No, get back in the race. 
If you've got, fallen out of the race, if you've stumbled and you just can't get up, get back in the race. Receive grace today. Receive the healing that comes from grace. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him for it and then receive forgiveness. Accept it. That's the biggest challenge for us. We mess up. We feel rubbish. We feel like we need at least a week of self-flagellation. And if God hit us too, that would be great because that would feel better at least. But that is actually redeeming yourself. Jesus has already taken all the punishment you need for your sin. So when you ask for forgiveness and then you don't receive it, you're offensive. You're offensive to God. That's a hard word, isn't it? But it's a good one. Receive forgiveness. Receive cleansing. And he'll set you free. Amen? I can honestly say back that looking back over my life, I've made progress. Over my life, I've made progress. You have made progress. Don't get stuck in yesterday. Don't get stuck in last year. You are more sanctified today than you were last year if you are walking with the Spirit. Amen.